0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: Dorothy, I never understood why your brother liked to wear women's clothes, unless he was queer. Sophia, people don't say queer anymore, they say gay. They say gay if a guy can sing the entire score of Gigi. But a six foot three, 200-pound married man with kids who likes to dress up like Dorothy Lemoore, I think you have to go with queer.
2: From WNYC Studios, this is Nancy... With your hosts, Tobin Lowe and Kathy Too. Tobin. Kathy.
3: There are two things that I love in the world.
2: What are the two things? One, soup. Okay.
3: <laughs> and two, the Golden Girls.
2: This is one of my favorite things about you. You are low-key 100 years old.
3: Whatever, you also love The Golden Girls.
2: I do love The Golden Girls. I used to watch it as a kid, and maybe even though I didn't have the word queer yet, I was like, this is a queer show. I love this show. I'm so glad that we are going to make up for lost time today so that I can talk about it openly and proudly.
3: Let's make up for lost time, Tobin. (laughs) Let's do it.
2: Well, and also I want to say, like, Young Tobin wasn't wrong. This show has been totally claimed by queer culture. It's, like, in the canon. Mm -hmm. And there are the reasons that people have written about before. You know, they talked about the AIDS crisis when not a lot of people were talking about it. They had gay characters. There's themes of chosen family. Right,
3: right, right. But also that's not quite it, though. Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. know, it's not – there's something else about the show.
2: There's something – about these four women and their stories it just like kind of resonates yeah. out and out and out
3: so today we're doing sort of a banquet of golden girl stories mm-hmm. think of it like a multi-course meal
2: a cornucopia if you
3: were <laughs> yes
2: Okay, we're going to pump the brakes for a second, though. Okay. Let's do a quick refresher Uh of uh who all the ladies are.
3: Okay, so The Golden Girls was a sitcom in the mid-80s, early 90s, and it featured four older ladies living together in the same house in Miami.
2: So there's Betty White as Rose. She's sort of the sweet and naive one.
3: Even a trip to the bank can be exciting if you wear a ski mask. (laughs) And we had Rue McClanahan as Blanche. She's vivacious. She was always hooking up with guys. All that manliness in one room,
2: in one crowded room. Be Arthur as I'm not taking any of your shit, Dorothy.
3: Go to
4: sleep, sweetheart. Pray for brains.
3: Scary Dorothy, (laughs) yes. And Dorothy's mom and my personal favorite, Sophia Petrillo as played by Estelle Getty. I'm
1: Sophia Petrillo and my idea of a good psychiatrist is a bartender who pours without a spout.
2: I have to say my favorite thing about the show is that now that it's streaming on Hulu, it is, like, the show that I watch while I'm eating takeout. Like, I cannot taste the flavor of food unless the show is on my laptop.
3: Tobin, that's weird, and you should get that checked out.
2: (laughs) But to go back to Golden Girls being on the interwebs, Mm -hmm. also very fun is seeing people, like, discovering the show for the first time.
3: It is never too late to start watching The Golden Girls.
2: Never too late.
3: Timeless.
2: So among these, let's call them first-timers, is Saeed Jones. If you don't know Saeed, he's like a super well-known poet. Mm -hmm. He's the executive editor of culture at BuzzFeed.
3: And he's huge on Twitter.
2: Huge. And one of the things he cannot stop tweeting about is this show. He like live tweets episodes. He will tweet about the cultural relevance of this show. He'll go personal.
3: He gets a little ranty.
2: He does. So good at (laughs) a One of my favorite tweets of his is, I swear if I had watched Golden Girls as a kid, I would have come out of the closet much earlier and I'd be a drag queen now.
0: Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, I'm working on a memoir now, and um, it's so interesting to look back at myself when I was younger at different periods of your life. But, you know, when you're looking in retrospect, you're like... Wow. I really thought I was the only one. Mm-hmm. I really thought I was the only person who had these questions or felt this way. Uh, certainly there weren't a lot of gay boys. Um, but there, there wasn't a lot of diversity of manhood when I was growing up. It was like either you were like tough, um, or you were like a drunk or you like didn't exist. Um, and I was like, well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm none of these things, you know? Um, and so I think to, to see a show, even though it's about women, That they are full, developed characters. They are interesting. They are imperfect. They all have their strengths. They're all wonderful, and they are so different. There are so many ways to be and to be happy. And I think if I was a kid and kind of getting to see that, I think I would have – maybe I wouldn't have become a drag queen because I don't – you know, tucking, it's just – a lot. It's a lot, but <laughs> I would have breathed a lot easier. You
2: also tweet a lot about Stan. He's the ex husband of B. Arthur's character. He's kind of this deadbeat who shows up every couple episodes. And one of your tweets said, "Stan is
0: absolute garbage." Stan is cultural herpes. They can't. They can't get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And I, I obsess about it. I mean, in the end, it's actually. A very smart aspect of the show Because again, every time that door opens You know, Dorothy, you see it And in, in be Arthur's entire posture
5: Hello Stan
0: Dorothy, hello You look fantastic
5: Please, please Stan, no hugging, no kissing Let's just do it and get it over with
0: Sounds like the last few years of our marriage <laughs> I wish it was that good <laughs> However rooted she is in her new life, like her past is still active and is going to come back. Like, you know, he's going to show up at her door one day and admit that they have tax problems and now they're going to have to deal with this. Or his new wife <laughs> that he left her for is leaving him and he, he needs a shoulder to cry on. She left me. <laughs> Why?
2: Chrissy left me for younger men. <laughs>
5: Younger than Chrissy? Where did she meet him, Camp Snoopy?
0: (laughs) I think Stan kind of reminds me of the ways we toned ourselves down, the way we, you know, um, kind of buffered our edges or or dulled ourselves, um, particularly when we were in the closet. And I would say even when we're out of the closet, you know, I think even when you're out, you are in relationships where you are suppressing parts of yourself because you believe that's what you're supposed to do. And to see that even Dorothy is shaken when, you know, her husband comes in with his toupee, it's kind of like, wow, you know, who is my stan?
2: Well, it also gets to this thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is, like, sometimes when shows write explicitly gay characters, I don't see anything of myself in them. right? And yet there are other characters who are not written explicitly queer at all, but right. you're like
0: – them. Oh yeah. Rose or you know the the women you you find yourself identifying with them in kind of unexpected ways and and that is what queer people always have to do. Um or black television viewers or asian american television like we've just developed the skill um because it was like if you're going to enjoy pop culture at all like in in a mainstream form you're going to have to get used to um Identifying with characters in kind of unexpected slanted ways—is
2: Dorothy the golden girl that you identify
0: with most? Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, it's kind of like your zodiac sign. You're like, (laughs) you know, there's the moon and the sun or whatever. Um, My friend Ashley Ford said you were totally Sophia. Interesting. And I was like, is that shade in the banana? I'm like, oh no, that's totally true. (laughs) Um, And she, Sophia, is so funny and just reads the room down like sophia v blanche like yo
1: now I, you'll excuse me i'm gonna go take a long hot steamy bath with just enough water to barely cover my perky bosoms <laughs> you're only gonna sit an inch of water <laughs>
0: She has some lines, so I'm like, okay, I'm cool with it. But I definitely, I I think you know Dorothy uh, has some of the qualities I aspire to the most. She's the leader. Um, she definitely holds the house together. Um, and she's a teacher, right? And she, or except for the time that she gets like Mario Lopez deported. What? Yeah, girl. Okay. So, listen, I realize, like, I'm in deep. Um, so there's an episode where, like, little baby Mario Lopez plays, um, one of her high school students, uh-huh. and she's tutoring him, and she submits one of his poems to a contest, and he wins, and, like, his poem is in the newspaper.
2: Stop!
1: <laughs> oh, this is great.
4: <laughs> what a surprise.
2: But it's not my birthday. I know, honey. We're celebrating your winning that contest. Oh, wow.
1: Thank
0: you. And it turns out that Mario and his family are undocumented.
1: Is something wrong? I'm with the Immigration and Naturalization Service. We have reason to believe that Mario is in this country
0: illegally. Mario, I'm afraid you'll have to come with me. He ends up getting deported. I was a bit shocked that the show wasn't going to, like, come up with some totally unrealistic happy ending. Right. But also, I was like, if this ain't the whitest thing I have ever had. Because the episode totally focuses on how bad Dorothy feels. Like, it's just— And I think the episode ends with, like, all of the women, like, hugging Dorothy in the kitchen. Oh,
1: honey, I'm so sorry. Boy, I could sure use a family hug right now. Oh, darling. Oh,
0: honey. Dorothy, you've had a rough day. I'm like, girl, you got this Latino boy deported, and y'all are out here <laughs> consoling. It is still, again, a sitcom that is centering um, white American women, uh, and and we can't we can't forget that.
2: Right. Well, so like, how do you square that for yourself? That like, this is a show that you love, but it's also still about you know like four sometimes problematic
0: white women. Honestly, if If I have to make a list of problems I have with the way white people are behaving, living, using their power right now and, like, start casting aside aspects of pop culture, I'll have nothing to listen to, nothing to watch. Um, So I feel like with Golden Girls, you know, it's one episode of, I don't know, four seasons or whatever. And I think talking about a show's failings are – it's just as insightful as talking about, like, you know, why the show succeeds. I also, like – I just want to talk about this other thing, which
2: is that with queer people, it's not just that they, like, choose which golden girl they are. It's that with
0: the whole friend group – it's like they see their friends reflected in these women. Absolutely. And, it, and it's all about love. Mm-hmm. It's all about love. Because that's the thing. You know, a lot of – let's just talk about gay men. We all have other gay men in our lives, you know, as acquaintances, as colleagues, as, you know, exes, future exes, funders, <laughs> and VC, you know, whatever. Um, but not many of those people are friends if we are honest with ourselves. Um, my grandmother, something she would say when I was little is like, Saeed, everybody ain't your friend. And I was, I was like, "How dare you? Like, what are you talking about? Like, obviously, if someone's like talking to me, we're friends. Um, that's not true." Um, so the reason their friendship works out on the show is because at the end of the day, even when they're fighting, they come back to love. They see the value in each other. Whether it's Dorothy's leadership, Blanche's like storytelling and color, just she she brings something to the room. Um, Rose's hope, Sophia's like Sophia's literally like bringing that wisdom and, and that. That, that is real friendship. And for queer people, it takes a long time for a lot of us to find that harbor, right? Because it's not just about coming out of the closet, it's not just about become you know moving in moving towards sex positivity, it's not a, not even just about your relationship. Getting to a point where you have healthy platonic friendships. Like it it actually takes a lot of work. Bless them. Bless <laughs> them.
2: my name is kelsey padgett and this is my wife to be
4: my name is samara brieger kelsey and i are gonna get married so when we pitched it to our wedding planner what we said was we want jurassic park golden girls vibe (laughs) (laughs) which we thought was really clear we thought it was so clear (laughs) we want like the lush jungle of Jurassic Park with, like, the tacky hominess and Miami vibrance of the Golden Girls. I watched Golden Girls for the first time with Samara two summers ago, and they're just so funny and great and sex-positive. Like, what? Ooh. In the floral arrangements, it is very much like big leaves and little pops of pink and orange and or whatever, I wanted people to be able to take pictures with, like, an actual, like, four-foot-eight Sophia Petrillo, but her head is a T-Rex head. Yeah. I'm going to make that happen. We have five weeks. <laughs> is that true? I, and I am crafty as shit. shit we have five weeks <laughs>
2: You're listening
3: to Nancy. We'll be back after these messages. Perfect. Amazing.
1: <laughs> Welcome back, sweetheart.
2: <laughs> Kath, I want to go back to a thing you said earlier. You said Sophia was your favorite. Do you think you're a Sophia? <sighs>
3: I want to be a Sophia, but I think I'm Rose.
2: <laughs> you say that with the disappointment of someone finding out they're a Hufflepuff.
3: <laughs> no, but I am a Hufflepuff.
2: I'm a Hufflepuff too.
3: But here's the thing. Even though I might be a Rose, my connection to Sophia runs so deep.
2: Tell the people why you love Sophia so much.
3: Sophia was so many things. She was funny.
1: Beat at your 50-year-old mattress.
3: She was honest.
1: Go to hell, all of you.
3: She was wise.
1: No matter how bad things get, remember these sage words. You're old, you're sad, get over it. But I think my favorite
3: thing about her was her stories. Picture it.
1: There we were, a tired, poor, huddled mass, eating marinara sauce out of a can. It was hell. And the entertainment... Some guy from Palermo forgot his accordion, so he sat around singing O Sole while squeezing a monkey.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if you've never heard a Sophia's story before, there are these long, detailed anecdotes, I would say, about Sophia's life growing up in Sicily, traveling to the New World, and they're written sort of to get to a punchline. But teenage Kathy decided that there was deeper meaning there.
2: But, like, why? It's a sitcom.
3: It was more than a sitcom, Tobin. Okay. (laughs) I watched a lot of TV when I was a kid. My parents worked a lot. My grandparents were all in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have a relationship with them. But somehow I knew that older people had wisdom, and their job is to pass it on to younger people. Okay. And so I took this very seriously. Golden Girls was in syndication at this point. And I would tape those episodes, and then I would transcribe Sophia's stories into <laughs> my Word document that was on my super old computer, basically creating a Sophia Bible, if you will, <laughs> that I would refer back to, because I believed that Sophia had had lessons for me, and I was there to receive them. This is sounding very religious. Picture this. New York City, 1931, the Depression.
1: Your father and I are newlyweds. One rainy night, we have our first fight. He says he's leaving, I say, fine. He goes out the door, I start to cook. <laughs> a few hours later, he comes back. He says he couldn't find a cab. <laughs> we eat in silence. Halfway through, I look up, and he's got tears in his eyes. He tells me, this meal is like our marriage. A veal is like him, tough and stubborn. The tomato sauce is like me, hot and spicy. And the mozzarella is like our love. It stretches, but it never breaks.
5: Ma, oh, that's lovely, but I don't see what luck had to
1: do with it. You were conceived that night, Dorothy. Ma. What's lucky is your father never knew and he never would have eaten my veal again.
3: <laughs> so here's what I got from that story. hmm Love stretches... But never breaks. Huh. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, arguably a real thing.
3: (laughs) Perhaps. But does it really follow from that story? No, it does not. Come on.
2: Right. You you basically took the first few words and were like, I think this is the lesson. Exactly.
3: (laughs) And sometimes even when I didn't actually understand what the hell Sophia was saying, I was still able to get some sort of meaning from it. Like,
1: All right, all right. I can pick up a cue. Picture it. <laughs> Sicily, 1912. A beautiful young peasant girl with clear olive skin meets an exciting but penniless Spanish artist. There's an instant attraction. They laugh, they sing, they slam down a few boilermakers. No idea what that is. Shortly afterwards, he's arrested for showing her how he can hold his palette without using his hands.
3: Completely over my head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I digress he paints her portrait and they make passionate love she spends much of the next day in the shower with a loofah sponge scrubbing his fingerprints off her body <laughs> she sees the portrait and is insulted it looks nothing like her and she storms out of his life forever that peasant girl was me and that painter
3: was Pablo Picasso.
2: What could you possibly get from that story?
3: Uh, people who are creative will never give you the love that you want.
2: You know what? Not wrong. (laughs) Not wrong.
3: But it wasn't in the story. No,
2: not at all. But I don't know. Not wrong. No, okay. No, it does not. No. No. No.
3: No. But you know what? Sometimes she could be on point. Please. (laughs) Just because a man's in a
1: wheelchair doesn't mean he can't satisfy a woman. What do you know about this, Ma? Picture it. (laughs) Sicily, 1914. A man in a wheelchair satisfies a woman. It's a short story, but I think it makes my point.
3: You see?
2: Yeah. Do you remember the moment that you found out Estelle Getty had died?
3: Yes, I do. Because... I remember when she had just passed away, that was when I started looking up her past for the first time. Mm. And I found out that Estelle Getty actually had a lot of stage fright when she was on the set of Golden Girls, like she would freeze up and she would forget her lines and she wouldn't be able to deliver them. And I suddenly felt like a little bit more of a kinship to her because I get stage fright, as you know. (laughs) And I think that is why Sophia remains my favorite Golden Girl.
2: Okay, we have one last Golden Girls superfan. <laughs> Hi,
5: I'm Rufus Wainwright, and I'm in my apartment. Cigarettes and chocolate milk These are just a couple of my cravings
2: so we're we have an oddly specific interview today. Yes, yes. here we go. <laughs> it's about Golden Girls. Yes. Do you have a Golden Girl that you most identify with?
5: The one that I relate to most, unfortunately, is probably Blanche. <laughs> you know who? Uh, yeah. Well, she, you know it's the, it's the vanity. It's the vanity thing, and I'm cursed by by my own. Um, over appreciation of myself
2: when and why did you first start watching the show
5: um i started watching the show as a you know typical gay (laughs) (laughs) four-year-old with my grandmother
3: yeah what was your grandmother like
5: Well, she was, uh, I mean, we're speaking, I mean, I had two grandmothers, obviously, uh, but uh, the one I'm speaking about was my Canadian grandmother, who was a real formidable, almost Victorian-style matriarch, you know, didn't put up with any nonsense and, you know, made everybody's life a little bit hellish, but was also incredibly charming and funny, and she was like a powerhouse, you know. You know, the first thing I ever learned how to do, and this, I was four years old, was to make a gin and tonic. So I would, I, yeah, it was to make my grandmother her gin and tonic. She's like, you put the gin in the jigger, you know, that's how much you need, and you need, like, only, like, four ice cubes, and don't put too much time, you know, you don't want to put in a little lime. She was one of 17 children. So, wow. so she, um, I think... <laughs> I think she had to drink a lot for, for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I was definitely prone to a more fae existence. I would dress up a lot of my grandmother's clothes and... And I would, um listen to Judy Garland.
1: Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. You' you know i you was can. I
5: was and I, I wanted to like learn how to tap dance and stuff. I thought I was Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz occasionally, so it was it was I was sort of that kind of little kid. and the Golden Girls, they were very pro uh gay, you know, the show itself. so it was a safe place, you know, because you weren't gonna like be parodied. I would say that Dorothy is, I, 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 w- I think of my grandmother as Dorothy, or she had the same kind of wicked sense of humor. Big deal, more people get to kiss you than the Pope's ring. Um, did not suffer fools. I could vomit just looking at you. I think it was also something, I think there was something about the physicality of Dorothy in terms of, like, my grandmother was, she hadn't been a beautiful woman, but she really overcompensated uh, with with her, with her personality. Since when do you care how you look? <laughs> I think it started when I came down from the bell tower and had my hump fixed. She was a real charmer, and uh, yeah, and I think, you know, Dorothy has that uh, in spades. You know my famous B. Arthur story.
3: Well, we're, right? we're going to get into that. Okay. <laughs> Why
5: don't we
2: get
3: into it now? Yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. I was invited to do a, a benefit, an AIDS benefit, in Santa Fe at the Opera House, and, uh, and which I was you know, really excited to be invited to do. But what I was really excited about was that B. Arthur was going to be the MC. <laughs> that really sealed the deal. And, and I was, you know, kind of over the moon. Um, a little too over the moon, like somewhere in Jupiter.
3: Wait, at and this time, was your grandmother alive? or
5: She had she cat- passed away. It was in Santa Fe, and there was this inn called the the turquoise bear (laughs) and it was owned by these gay guys who were bears and they had given me the most beautiful suite and uh and it was you know replete with you know pastel colored towels and you know floral pattern uh bedspreads and you know a huge collection of sadomasochistic porn you know, it was like it was like the whole, and they were very, you know, they really pushed it and stuff. Like anything, and if you, if this porn you don't like, then we got other stuff, you know, and other thing, you know, objects and so forth. And then we're all kind of sitting around waiting for um, B. Arthur to show up, who was the biggest, you know, celebrity of of in the show, and she arrived. And someone said to me, um, okay, you know, be Arthur's here, we go over, I see her. She doesn't look nice. <laughs> She's, there's t- immediately this kind of, you know, blank stare, but I just kind of go for it. I'm a huge fan of yours, huge idol for me. When I was a kid in Canada growing up, I watched the Golden Girls religiously with my grandmother, and it was, you know, a tremendously bonding experience for us and and then I then she passed away my grandmother and I moved to Los Angeles and um I didn't know anybody I was living in the Oakwood apartments in North Hollywood uh in this crappy room and And for about a year, I was the loneliest I'd ever been in my life, and I was making record. And so I started watching the Hallmark Channel, as one (laughs) does. And there were these reruns of the Golden Girls, and it really got me through a really, really, really dark period. And I just wanted to let you know and thank you, because you became my grandmother. You became my grandmother, my television grandmother. And I want to thank you so much for helping me through this dark period. And then she turned to me and she went, I'm not your fucking grandmother. (laughs) 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 And walked away. And I was like, oh, okay. So that didn't go so well. And so then I leave, and word gets out that. B. Arthur's very upset because she didn't have a room in the hotel at the Turquoise Bear. This very wealthy couple had put her in their guest house out in the middle of the desert, and she was pissed off because she was out there alone in the desert. The two gay bear guys were like, oh no, but there's no nice rooms. There's only one crappy little room left, you know, with a not even with like a shower and no bath or whatever, and so I overheard this, and I got up and I went to the bear guys, and I went, you know, she can have my room. I'll take the crappy little room, it's fine. So then, they go off to her, come back, two minutes later, laughing their asses off, and I'm like, what happened? And she said, yeah, she's gonna take your room. And I'm like, well why are you laughing? She's and they said, Well the first thing she said was, Yeah, I'll take the room. That little son of a bitch owes me something. So the, <laughs> so, oh. then, so I'm like okay. So they switch the all the stuff and then the, you know the show happens she never you know comes and thanks me for instance for the room or anything. Finally I get home totally trashed to my little crappy room with only a shower in it or something. Mm-hmm. And no porn. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Insult to injury. Yeah. <laughs> and I go up And I walk by the old, my room, my old room, the nice suite. And I look in my pocket and I was like, I still have the key. So I walk over to the room and I look in the window and I see B. Arthur like sprawled out on her bed. She wasn't naked, but she was, you know, with a nightgown, the TV's on, and she's like, (laughs) sitting there, like, uh, (laughs) snoring. And I was like, I could go in there now and like give her a heart attack. And be like go in there and be like, Grandma, <laughs> Grandma, you know, or whatever, or whatever. But I didn't. I went back to my room and went to bed. A but bitter, that was the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I could have gone in there and totally, you know, given her oh cardiac gosh. arrest, which would have spared a lot of people a lot of grief, I'm sure, considering how she was. But I still love her.
3: <laughs> <laughs> did, it, did that interaction color how you see the show ever afterwards?
5: Oh, no. If anything, it enforced the kind of fascination. Because anything that's great to you is always unattainable. And sometimes, when people are a little too normal or regular, I should say, some of the patina is polished off. But when it's once again, you know, taken away <laughs> <laughs> and placed somewhere far up. <laughs> It remains interesting.
3: I don't know how we follow that, Tobin.
2: Episode over. Let's just eat cheesecake.
3: Fun fact. Did I ever tell you that I learned what the word cheesecake meant from the Golden Girls?
2: That's a lie. That's not true, is
3: it? Life is fun when English is your second language. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Okay, that's our show.
3: Time for credits. Our producer, Matt Colette,
2: sound designer,
3: Jeremy Bloom, editor, Jenny Lawton, executive producer, Paula Schumann.
2: You should follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're called Nancy Podcast Both Places. Follow us and you'll be able to find out about our weekly live videos. Live! We'll hang out and chat, and if you ask us a question, we'll send you some Nancy pins.
3: I'm Kathy too.
2: I'm Tobin Lowe.
3: And Nancy is a production of WNYC Studios.